Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Hold on, let me just see if this, let me see if he answers. Hello, and thank you for calling. Didn't answer. Okay, I was going to give him, oh, no, he said no. He texted, no, no. A um, couple fun facts. We've been studying the Elohim in the unseen realm. Elohim is the Hebrew word for G-O-D in your English Bible. When you see capital L-O-R-D, all caps, that's the word Yahweh. And someone asked me recently, he said, is, does Yahweh appear in the New Testament? And I was thinking, I, I don't think it does because the New Testament is written in primarily Greek. But that word we were singing, hallelujah, means praise Yah. And that was, that's the only sort of connection back to Yahweh. They, they begin calling God, uh, the generic term in the New Testament is Theos, and then Adonai is Lord. And today, we are talking about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Uh, if you're new, welcome. My name is Ryan, and I'm your pastor. And you might have heard uh, Ms. Ree talking about Kathy. Edwin has been uh, leading our student ministries for, since before I was here. And his wife was recently um, taken into surgery. A mass was discovered on her brain. And, uh, and she's going to begin her treatment in May. So we want to be praying for her all the way up to May. She's got to recover from her brain surgery. For those of you who have had brain surgery, my, my wife is one of those people. You have to relearn some very basic motor movement skills. And then her treatment for the cancer will begin in May. So keep them in our prayers. This past week, we had another chapel family member who had cancer removed. And I, as far as I know, that was removed successfully. Re, is that the case? She won't know for two weeks, mostly successfully. That's what I'm going to pray for because the Bible says to pray and to believe. But for today, man, we are in the midst of something. It says post-Easter, post-Easter stuff. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in. Ephesians 6 is where you can flip or scroll to in your Bibles. If you have the Version Bible app, you can go to the events tab and you'll see the notes pop right up there. Lord, It is difficult for us, I think at times, maybe just for me, Lord, to realize that we are walking through a war between good and evil all of the time, that there are spiritual forces at work. And as we've been learning in your word, God, all these different beings and how they operate and live and the roles that they play. Today we come to uh, what may be one of the more important messages, which is how do we even battle an enemy we cannot see? So Lord, give us eyes to see, like Elisha's servant. Give us an awareness. Help us to tune in to the spiritual realities that are all around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So today, and I, I did say um, we need to learn how to fight an enemy that we cannot see most of the time because there are times in the Bible that people have the privilege of seeing the unseen realm. So before we get to how to fight, how do we battle against a spiritual being, I need us to have the, just the perspective, the perspective that matters in any battle, this is Nehemiah 9.6. You are the Lord. 
You are Yahweh. You are creator. You alone. You have made the heaven of heavens with all their hosts. So who made all of the spiritual beings? The Lord. Who made all the spiritual beings? Who made all the spiritual beings? The Lord. He made all of them. There's not one that is made that he did not make. The earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. The host of heaven worships the Lord. They will have no choice, even if they have rebelled at the end of days, to all bow their knee and confess, because he is their creator as well. And then this jumps to the New Testament when we talk about Jesus and God, and we've looked at some of these pieces in the unseen realm, and one of the components that I think draws a lot of confusion is, how does this Trinity thing work? If you grew up Catholic, you just know the cross, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus, if you see Jesus, you see the Father. Jesus is the physical, the visible God. He is not separate from God. He is God when God is visible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Everything you can see, everything you cannot see was made by Jesus. Whether thrones or dominions, those are the rulers in the spiritual realm, rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So this is where we start in the spiritual battle. This is where we have to begin with this perspective of fighting in the unseen realm to know that the person, our commander, is the one who made all the things. This week I had a really fun, um, my, my friend Derek emails me or texts me questions about theology all the time, so I finally got to get him back because Derek was a former military person and, uh, and I've been enthralled with military people this week because we got to celebrate, as, oh, Brett's back there, we got to celebrate Lieutenant Colonel Boston's retirement ceremony, um, serving 23 years in the military. And they had this moment, because Brett is like kind of nice and goofy at chapel. And there was this moment where he like was, he commanded his cadets to do something at the University of Tampa, and they were like, and then they had to say this thing, and I got the chills all over. I was like looking around like, dang, these are a bunch of kids who were just brought to attention and focus. And then this week I have the privilege because we have so many military people. And, and because Derek pesters me with questions all the time, I'm like, that's it. I'm going to pester him. So I said, Derek, I want you to give me an outline as to what you would do to simulate and then have a tactical plan for a battle against some enemy that you know is going to be a threat to you. And he's like, do you want this in text? And I was like, I want an email. And if you know this guy, his emails aren't emails. They're short story form essay dissertations, okay? Like his texts, you have to scroll. If he just says good morning, you got to scroll to see this whole good morning. His emails, he goes, I'm going to number it. And he numbered it. <laughs> and then I compared his response to uh, ChatGPT, the AI thing that's you know, taking over the internet. And it was fascinating to read and then you could see that, that in his military mind, and I'm sure if you're from the military here, you have these things that you think about that us civilian folk have never thought about. I never would have processed, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to calculate this. We're going to get this information. We're going to create our course of action. And we're going to simulate a war game. Like a war game. But then I remembered, Colonel Boston, he's taking war games. They go up to Kentucky and they 
give all the cadets BB guns or whatever they do. I don't know what they do up there. And they just shoot each other with BB guns. At least that's what we did when I was a kid. And then you, you, would, you analyze your war game, and then you choose or modify your course of action based on the results of the war game. Well, we are not in a game today. So you and I are in the midst of a spiritual war. The enemy we're fighting can see us, and we cannot visibly see him. We are in the midst of a war between light and darkness, between good and evil, between Christs and antichrists. A war. An actual war. And I have one brother who served in the army, one brother who's currently serving in the navy, and a lot of you, my friends who are in the military, and I ask questions because I'm fascinated by this. My middle brother who was in the army, he, he reads his Bible tenaciously when he was deployed. His Bible sits sometimes dormant when he's at home. And I said, why do you think it is that you, you want to read your Bible? And he says, the people are shooting at me. That's why I read my Bible. And I look at him, and he knows military things, and I know pastoral things. So I, I'm thinking in my head, you read your Bible because somebody is shooting a, a, a round at you, cartridges, whatever you call them, bullets, bling, bling, bang, bang, pop, pops. When you're here, the enemy is shooting arrows. The enemy is shooting deception and lies. His strategy can be summed up in three words, really, that we're going to look at today. There's a lot more words, but really, to deceive, divide, and destroy is what he's trying to do. Whether it's a nation, a church, a family, a person, your child, your grandchildren, whether it's culture, music, art, he is seeking to deceive, to divide, and to destroy. And the rebellious spirits in the unseen realm are literally hell-bent on getting us to worship anything but God. And we're in a fight. I was thinking about fighting because I, I, I'm fascinated with it. So I, I want to escalate up a list. Okay, so this is what we would call a pretend fighter. How does that song go? How does this song go? Does anyone know his song, the intro? Da -da 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 -da. I don't know. This is John Cena. Apparently he's been seen eating breakfast at the brunchery over off Lithia Pinecrest. I don't know if that's a myth or not, but these guys are all from Florida. Wrestlers and carnies live in the same state. May the Lord bless America. I mean, it's ridiculous that we get all the joy. Like, what do people in Iowa even have? Um, now, this guy, he's big. Like, if you see him in real life, I didn't want to put, like, too many shirtless pictures up here because if someone struggles with lusting after fake wrestlers. Um, but, but this guy, and I, there's going to be a shirtless picture, would get destroyed in a fight by this guy. Like, I grew up with this guy. Does anyone know who this is? Well, hold on, hold on. Um, wait, 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 wait. Don't say, wait, 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 wait. I got to find a young person. Um, okay. Let's go with a medium. No, you know. Do you know who this is? What's his first name? Mike Tyson. He would destroy John Cena. John Cena plays fighting. He really fights. Now, you might not know this, but this guy would get destroyed by this guy. Some of you don't know who this is, except Rollin. Rollin knows who this is. He's like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. This, is. this is John Bones Jones. This is a bad mammer jammer. He's probably the most physically dangerous human on planet Earth without a weapon in his hands. And you're like, well, what sport is he in? The only sport that matters, the Lord's sport, UFC. <laughs> but he would destroy Tyson quick. And I don't mean like, I don't mean like, Five minutes quick. I mean, he'll take down Mike Tyson in his prime versus John Bones Jones in his prime. That match is lasting less than a minute and a half, two minutes. Now, this guy, 
would get destroyed by any one of these guys. Not the whole squad, just one Spartan who was trained to kill from the time they were a child with a spear and a shield and a helmet and slippers. Okay? So, I need, so you see how we're escalating this from the fakest fighting to the... And then, see, how do you fight... How do you fight that? How do you fight that? There's nothing there. Have you ever been assaulted by somebody in the middle of the night? I have assaulted both my brothers. Just beat them in the darkness. They don't see me coming. I'm built for stealth, if you can't tell. Uh, or... I mean, if you could see them, and this is just an artist's rendition, which I don't really like because it looks like he's wearing a frying pan in his head. Or, but, but, like, if that type of being appears, and we've already gone through, like, okay, most angels, angels do not have wings in the Bible. The beings that do have wings are cherubim, seraphim, and there's usually more than one set of wings. But this is just like, if this thing flew down and showed up, what's the move? I don't care how long you've been doing jujitsu. I don't care how much spear practicing you've done. I don't care if you played Dungeons and Dragons for 10 years and you're an excellent LARPer. That was just for the nerds, okay? That's just for the nerds. A LARPer is a person that's called live action role play. They get wood swords and they go to community colleges and fight each other. It's, uh, if you haven't seen it, you must. See, because we fight these beings in the unseen realm and the rebellious spirits in the unseen realm, they're going to tell you things to deceive, to destroy, to divide you. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. These three words, deceive, divide, destroy, just so you can remember them, what they're going to do. The evil beings, these spiritual beings, and you're, you might be here thinking, well, I don't believe in all the spiritual beings. Okay, fine. I, don't, I can't give you a, a defense of why spiritual beings exist. Let's just say that throughout human history, there have been spiritual beings that have commanded humans to sacrifice their children in this period, that period, and our current period of history. There are spiritual beings that want to draw humans away to anything that will destroy our relationship with God. That's their first and primary intention. But then our relationships with each other, our marriages, our parenting ability. And it's shocking to me at the pace that a culture can change in our current day and age. You see, Satan, uh, God loves you. And, and according to Jeremiah 29, 11, he has a plan for your life to, to give you hope and prosper you. Now, I do believe that that applies primarily to Jewish people. But I want to tell you this, Satan hates you. And he also has a plan for your life to destroy you to deceive you, to speak lies to you, to tell you when you're too tired that you don't have enough time. He'll tell you, well, do your prayers really work? He'll tell you, they'll whisper into your ears, whether it's the Satan or his rebellion, fallen spiritual beings. They'll tell you, it's okay to keep doing this thing or that thing. It won't hurt anybody else. They'll tell you that your life is all about you. You see, Satan's plan is crafty. Now, there is something that we have to fight 
in the spiritual realm. It's the only thing that matters. It is the one moment that obliterates all the darkness, and it's the cross. It's Resurrection Sunday. And you may be thinking, that is a weird way to fight. We fight by looking to Jesus who died on the cross. How does that help me fight? Well, there's, that's where we land today. And here we go. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. See, if I were to do what I used to do when I was in middle school, high school, into my 20s and early 30s, maybe a little bit into my 40s, I look around a room, and I've confessed this before, so don't judge me for this. And some of you will agree with this. As, as a male human being, when you walk into a room, let me just talk to one person, one male. Clay, I've never picked on you before. When you walk into a room, do you kind of size up who the most dangerous dude is in the room? Oh, yeah. Okay, now, Roland, let me talk to you. You're the biggest guy in the room currently. Rollin, when you walk into a room, does it feel good knowing that you could beat up anybody else in the room? No, you, could, you got a bad knee. I know your weakness. Ah! Yeah. You don't, you don't think that way? That's only me then. Only your pastor walks into a room and I think, I could take him. I could take him. I could take him. That guy's on steroids. He could take me. I could take him. That's only me? Y'all are lying. The men, wives, nudge your husband and say, you lied if you didn't agree with that. Hightower? Do you size people up? Okay, thank you. Just making sure. I mean, your name is Hightower. I'm not going to pick up. You're a black belt in Taekwondo. I would kick you from here. Hiya! See how dangerous I am? Now, the war, we're not waging according to the flesh. We're not looking at how big they are. We're not looking at what weapons do we have because the weapons that we make with our hands don't affect the spiritual beings of darkness, the beings that will whisper lies, the beings that will shatter marriages, the beings that will tear children from us. We, the weapons of our warfare, are not of flesh and blood, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. The enemy's goal is to set up strongholds in our lives so that they have a base of operations. If you want to do an exercise in something wild, and you can ask any military person here, say, hey, where do we have bases, like just around the world? Literally everywhere. It's amazing how many bases America has. Now, I'm not saying that like America is this always perfect shining example, but as far as military strategy, Y'all, we've surrounded everyone. We have ships everywhere. My brother's a submarine person. He's in the sneaky ships, underwater. They breathe through a straw. And we're like, we won't let China get close to Hawaii. Then look at all the bases around China. We're literally up and down the coast, the Pacific coast on the Chinese borders. It's amazing. Now, the enemies are doing the same thing with you. If you think that they're just these like spirits that are sort of like dumb blondes, what do we do today? Let's go hurt them. No, 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 no. Evil spirits existed before humans were created. They have small groups to get it together to say, what are we going to do to mess up their life, to deceive, destroy, to divide? So we have to have a weapon that can fight them. And our weapon of divine power of course, must come from where? Starts with a D, rhymes with divine. Divine. 
This is our text. We've read passages from this the entire series in Elohim. Be strong in the what? Not in the you. Not in the how many push-ups you can do. Not in the how many Bible verses you have memorized. Those things are helpful. Well, not the push-ups. For human longevity. Push-ups aren't helpful for fighting spiritual beings of evil. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? His might. You see, I meet too many Christians who want to be strong in their own strength, and they use God like an add-on. Like, I will bind you, Satan. And look, sure, people can say that kind of stuff. I just think it's weird. Because if my four-year-old daughter, Bella, said, I will bind you, Daddy. I'm, I don't know, six, seven times her body mass index. Just, she's, there's no chance. There's no chance. This morning, Silas reached over and grabbed my arm, and he says, I got your arm in prison. And I looked at him, I said, no, 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 I've got your body in prison. See, the, the strength of God's might is what we need. The bigger being, the largest being, the one who created these rebellious spiritual beings who are trying to deceive, divide, and destroy us. So Paul admonishes us in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor. It's important always to put on the whole armor because we're going to be getting attacked from many directions. And it would just look silly if you think about wearing part of armor. The whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. One of the interesting verses in Revelation and a few other places in the scripture talks about how, how certain people won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And one of the ones we often overlook are cowards. It says this multiple times, cowardice. And this is the most repeated command in the Bible is some variation of do not fear, do not be afraid. God wants us to know how to stand against spiritual beings that are trying to infiltrate. And they're not going to just infiltrate right out in the open. Sometimes they will, but most often they're going to set up strongholds they're going to set up education systems. They're going to set up cultural tides that feel like, how could this possibly be? That what was once called evil, the world is now calling good. That there is so much confusion about who we are as human beings. You think it's an accident? It's not just a cultural phenomenon. There are spiritual beings at work to destroy, to deceive, and to divide us. So, we must put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand. Because, in this verse, I've said it dozens of times this series, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against the person that you don't like. They are not the enemy. Your political enemy is not the enemy. They may be a conduit. They may be the funnel from which evil flows. But the ultimate enemy... The ultimate enemy is the, the evil behind it all. It's why when my kids get in scuffles and altercations, I don't get upset so much at the kids. Who do we get upset at as parents? We get upset at the parents. At least I do. How could, how could you raise your kids to do that? When the one kid told me, because my, my daughter Savannah was being a terrible person, and the kid said, my mom said I could punch a girl if it's self-defense. 
I'm going to go punch your mom then. I didn't say that. I thought it. Now I said it, though, on the internet. It's a joke, internet. You see, we are deceived when we think that that person is our enemy. There is no person that is our true enemy, which means as we're fighting and battling and yelling and trolling people online, the true enemy is using that person, using those people, using that group, using that ideology. It is true evil is using them as a pipeline to funnel their demonic anti-God rhetoric. And yet we so easily can lose sight of this. We must remember this, that our true wrestle is not against the humans we see. As a matter of fact, you've never looked at a human who wasn't made as an image bearer of Yahweh, the creator of the universe, ever. Every person you've ever seen, on television or otherwise, was created in the image of God and has the breath of God within them. We should remember that. See, our true battle is against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So in the words of Barney Stinson, suit up. See, that was a very narrow, very narrow cultural reference. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. I was doing this weird study. I don't like conspiracy theories, but hear me out. Jesus died approximately 2,000 years ago. Uh, literally coming up, as best we can tell, between 2027 and 2030 will be the 2,000th year anniversary since Jesus died. He was probably born a little bit before 0 AD, and depending on how you read and timeline things out, he would have been crucified most likely around 2027 to 2030, 2,000 years back, 27 or 30. Check this out. It's so weird. So I went down this rabbit hole. It's like I just saw QAnon people jumping in. I'm like, let's go. Ah. <laughs> Revelation was written in the late 90s. A thousand years from when Revelation was written and from when that, that block, from when Jesus was crucified, died, rose again, and then from there to Revelation, that block of period, a thousand years from that, the Crusades happen. And the Crusades are when horsed followers of Jesus went in and massacred people trying to take back the promised land. And people called them the horsemen of the end. Just track with me. We're just going down the hole. A thousand years from that point leads us to this point where we're landing here shortly. All of these prophecies, here's the reason why. The Euphrates, the Euphrates is drying up. The Bible said this in Revelation 2,000 years ago. Up until 1940, people thought it was ridiculous. How, how could the Euphrates dry up? Nobody foresaw the political moves made by all of the countries on the upper parts of the Euphrates building dams to control water flow to essentially get to a point where they can stop the Euphrates. And currently, as of right now, the Euphrates River is drying up. The Bible talked about it 2,000 years ago, and now we're like, oh. 
Now, if you go down real day, down deep in the rabbit hole, Gog and Magog are China and Russia, and they will rise up. I didn't go that far down. I remembered that um, I have a brain. I came back to surface. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying if you believe Gog and Magog are China and Russia that you're totally out of whack. I'm just saying those wouldn't have been the areas most likely that that was referring to. However, while still wading around in the pool of conspiracy theories, I started looking at all of the timelines and all of the prophecies that I could find in the Bible that refer to things that must happen when Jesus comes back. And some of the scarier things have to do with the way that the world will all turn against God, with the way that Israel will turn against God in a final rebellion with the way that Israel will come back to know God. And right now, there are Israelites that are trying to get the gospel banned, while at the same time, simultaneously, there is revival in the underground church in Israel where Jews are coming to know Jesus because they're reading Isaiah 53 for the very first time. See, the, the evil day, it's upon us. The Bible talks about a day when people will call good evil and evil good. You guys, I don't even know anymore. Uh, what the, the standard for evil and good, for wrong and right, it's moving so quickly. If, if you're a Gen Xer or higher in here, isn't it bewildering how fast culture is moving? Words that you could say literally yesterday are now bad to say today. And it's no longer just a, it's no longer just a, a political thing. This, what caught my eye this week is, is Canada's new designation. And they've added something to the, the gender discussion, and it's called 2S. It literally stands for two spirits. So now you're, so before you're playing with, with gender and sexuality, as soon as you add spirituality, you're coming into my turf, baby. You want to talk about spirits? I've been learning something about spirits for a minute. And they're talking about pulling this concept of spirituality from Native American cultures, which is really not true. But what fascinates me is that now they're saying that there is a spiritual component to all of the gender stuff, which is what I've been saying from the beginning. That we are made male and female for a purpose, a God-given design. And what is the enemy's desire? It's to deceive, divide, and destroy. Whatever God makes, Satan and his fallen beings say, I want to create something that will get people to turn from what God made. That will look at what God made and say, I don't know if that is true. Isn't it amazing how, and, and here's what we're doing. I need to just convict myself. All of us do this. We stand where we currently are and we look at everyone else and say, I can't believe how evil and wicked the world is. Wrong approach. Because there are things that we are doing, that we are believing right now, that in a hundred years, Christians will look back at us and be like, they were kind of dumb. I can prove it. 150 years ago, there were faithful, Bible-believing, small group, church elders, pastors, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, who were beating, whipping, killing their slaves. And we look at that from our modern place of 2023 and say, how could they have done that? Now, granted, it was primarily believers who moved in to, the, to the liberation and the freedom of, of slave, slaves in this country. I just found out that Harriet, Tubbs, Harriet Tubman's husband, the lady who did the Underground Railroad, did you know he told her not to do it? 
She said, I want to do this. And her husband said, no, I don't want you to do it. And then she was assisted then by very normal, northern, white, Bible-believing, Bible-fearing people to create the Underground Railroad. I thought that was fascinating. You see, do you stand up for what is right in the evil day? Can you withstand in the evil day? Because I'm watching churches and pastors and whole bodies of faith communities drop one by one by one. And I don't know. I don't understand what they're reading, honestly. I, I want to understand my friends who say, who did believe something and now have walked away from biblical principles. It's like they've walked away not only from saying this is good or bad, but from saying anything is good or bad. And if we're going to do that, I don't know why we're here because God is, we can at least say God is good and Satan is bad. We can at least say that God created things to be one way and not another way. But it's so quick to see us crumbling to see churches succumbing. And I don't say this out of a position of arrogance. I say this out of the fact that I believe that at the end of my life, I stand before Yahweh, creator, and so do you. I don't stand before a political panel. I don't stand before, thank you, Lord, the Twitter judgment board. I don't stand before the Facebook police. I don't stand before them. There is one being, and I am more terrified of him than all of the beings combined. Because he is God. He has the ability to destroy my soul, not just my body. Fasten on the belt of truth. Do you remember back in the late, early 90s when, do people still sag? Do people sag? You're a young person. People still sag. I remember when I sagged. If you don't know what sagging is, it's where you put your pants under your butt. Do you remember? I mean, it used to be really big because we all had the same plaid like underwear from Ross or whatever. And it was like, our pants were so low. And it, when it first started, you have to remember young people, like nobody sagged. Like they went from like the 70s where they looked like Liberty Bells walking around. In the 80s, they bleached all their clothes and put them with rocks in the washers. And then the 90s come, dude, and we are sagging so down. And I'll tell you, my, grand, my great-grandma, she would, like, pinch my butt when I sag. Pull up your pants. Beep, beep, beep. I just think, like, of all the things to forget in a battlefield, like, I need a belt. <laughs> what do you not want to lose when you're in battle? That's a no-brainer, right? Like maybe shoes. Like if I had to choose between belt or shoes or belt or pants, I'm choosing shoes probably because I've watched um, Naked and Afraid before. Got to have footwear. Protect your tootsies. Having fastened the belt of truth, put, put truth around you. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now this is God's armor. It's not your armor. It's God's armor that you're borrowing, that you're wearing, that he is giving you. Put on his truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Put on peace. Put on righteousness. Put on truth. In all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The evil one is shooting darts, arrows. Doesn't sound scary to us because we have different weapons. We have 
guns now. But flaming darts, if you go watch any period history movie where they have flaming arrows, it's rarely that you see these movies and they shoot one arrow and the guy goes, got him. If you watch these period pieces, they say, pull, and it's a whole line volleying people, all of them elves with perfect aim. Loose. And it's fire arrows will just rip through the sky. So it's not like this shield that's saying, hey, hey, get a shield. Because you might be walking around to Walmart one day and Satan's going to be like, get him now. Wink. No, 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 no. This image in all of the readers' minds would have been one of a volley of arrows on fire, hundreds and thousands, volley after volley. And Paul's saying, you better have something that can stop those volleys. You better have something. And what is the thing that is wide enough, broad enough, and strong enough? It is faith, not in yourself, but faith in Jesus Christ. That when he died, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. This is why faith wins as a divine weapon. Because you hold up faith in Christ. And you put it before you. And anything that evil shoots at you has already been defanged, depointed. It's been blunted so that when the enemy's arrows land, they fall to the ground in failure. And we take up the helmet of salvation. Cover your head with all that God has done for you. And the sword of the Spirit, the one weapon we get, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, some... This is six things. There's six, six things that the Bible says that we got to put on that are of God. It's sometimes hard to remember all six of those things, but there's something that happens at the end. So you put on the armor of God and then praying at all times in the spirit. If Craig Sweeting were in here, he'd say amen. But he's in the back in the nursery yelling amen at an infant. With all prayer and supplication. Stay in touch. See, this is, this is what this is saying. Get ready for battle. Use the armor. Use the weapons that your commander has provided you because they are the best weapons for the battle at hand. And then keep in contact with the commander. Don't put it all on and be like, let's go. No, no, no. Wait for the guy who made all the things. Keep in contact with him. Ask him, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Have you ever watched... Older kids play a violent game like laser tag with younger kids? If you haven't, it is worth the investment. Okay, take a group of six and seven-year-olds to laser tag. Just go find some strays out in the neighborhoods. And then take a group of 14-year-old ROTC students. And then go to a laser tag place. Doesn't matter which one. Because those 14-year-olds, they've been preparing their whole life playing Call of Duty. Those five-year-olds, they're playing Nerf still. And you go out there, it is so fascinating because you'll see the five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, they're happy, like, let's go, yay, laser tag. And then all of a sudden, you've got the 14-year-olds that have been playing Call of Duty since they came out of the womb. <coughs> Roger, take the left side, flank, flank, flank. And they got hand signals. <coughs> you go this way, you go this. They're diving, supermaning. <coughs> they got war paint on. And then the little seven-year-old's like, They just don't know. See, there's a difference in organization. There are too many believers that think that this is their armor. They put it on, it's mine now. I'm strong enough now. You are not. No, you are not. Smart enough, 
strong enough, emotionally attuned enough. You need to stay in contact with the general. You need to be in contact with the commander because sometimes we won't even know how to use these things. I, I love, there's this picture I have and I wanted to show it, but I couldn't because it's of Silas. When he was younger, I made him this wooden sword and we still have it. It's on top of our fridge right now, actually, because Bella's been hurting people with it because I made it out of a dowel and duct tape, okay? It is a violent weapon back from the early 2000s. Silas co-opted it and one of my favorite pictures of him he has a Thor mask on top of his head, and he's got this wood sword that I made just from a dowel and like a little plank for the, the scabbard or the whatever that thing is that blocks your hand. And then he's got his little uh, whatever underwear he had on backwards. If you've ever had a kid, there's nothing cuter than a kid with backwards underwear because one butt cheek is just out, right? And he's walking away like it's the end of a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, just butt cheek out, wood sword, Thor face, everything's wrong. Everything's wrong. And sometimes I feel like that's us. Like, I got some faith. I got some salvation. It's on a little crooked. Where's my sword? Like, we're just, the, so many believers don't want to come to God and say, God, I am vulnerable out here. I need you to give me something. Instead, we're like, I like, I like this. I don't like the way this, this righteousness feels weird, Lord. It's kind of heavy. This truth, this truth is a little, uh, little tight around the waist. God's telling you it's time to trim off a few pounds so your belt can fit. These shoes, I don't know if I can run in these shoes, Lord. See, we get so caught up with, does it fit me? Do I like this song? Am I part of the right Bible study? Do I go to the right church? All those things. What matters is, are you connected to your general and are you trusting in him? Because we, you might remember these six attributes. I hope that you do, but if you don't, there's one attribute that, um, that we should easily re remember. I'm going to come back to you in a second. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, how, how does this translate? Put on the belt of truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Put on the righteousness because Christ is our righteousness. Put on peace because in this world you will have tribulation, Jesus says, but I give you my peace. You will have fights. You will have struggles, but I will give you my peace. How do we do this? By faith. It's a gift of God. And it's so beautiful. When we put on Jesus, when you wake up and say, I need to put on Jesus, to put on peace, to put on righteousness, to put on faith, to put on salvation, to put on the Spirit, I'm putting on Jesus and I'm making no provisions for the flesh. See, the flesh is what we live in. This body that one day will be planted in the ground to be resurrected and give birth to the person we were created to be, sinless, this is, this is what it means to give no provision to the flesh to gratify its desires. It's so easy to feed the flesh. It's so easy to get caught up in this shell. It's, it's less easy as you get older. I had a debate today. It was a heated debate. Might I say one of the greatest debates of this morning, tennis or pickleball, which is greater? And it was with him. As I stand here today, I'm wearing my pickleball shoes. You can't tell this, but there's a pickleball print in my Nike swoosh. I'm in my, I signed up for my first pickleball tournament. It's two Sundays from now. I'm gonna go crush all of the 70-year-olds into the dirt. Now, here, the flesh. See, Jeremiah said, well, the reason you like pickleball is because you're old. How old are you again? 
Yeah, next Sunday, two Sundays, or one Sunday from today. Yeah, Pam's in it. You're going down. Okay, okay. I have mercy for the rec times, but for tournament times, I'm giving people black eyes with the ball. Not, I'm not just gonna punch Martha or anything, okay? <laughs> Make no provision. The reason why you said pickleball's better is because why? We're older and you said it probably doesn't hurt your body as much. That's what you said. You don't have to run as much. You haven't been on the pickleball court with, they call me the beast from the east out there. They don't call me that. Um, when we make provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires, it's so tempting because it's what feels normal and because everyone around us is doing it. Just because everybody is doing something, buying the food, getting the drink, buying this thing, doesn't make it the right thing. I want to do whatever I can to physically remind myself that Christ is my covering and it's not, I no longer depend on this. I made a decision years and years ago because um, I, I got, when I quit playing sports, I, I started to get out of shape. And then I watched um, as friends who would, they'd have children, and my guy friends who would have kids, they, they gained, they got pregnant with their wives. You know that saying? Like the husbands put on the sympathy weight. And I watched that happen. So I told my wife years ago, um, don't judge me for this, okay? I'm shallow and I need the Lord just as much as you. But I told my wife, I'm never buying above a 36 waist size ever in my life. I'll just never do it. And then um, the time comes when you turn 40, then 41, and 42, and people keep feeding you. But I would just won't. I will not. It's like in my brain. It's a rule I made with myself. So my wife will be like, oh, you're getting pretty tight. And I'll say, oh, I don't care. I don't care if I am like a gogurt about to explode. I do not, I will not buy the next size pant up. You know what it reminds me of though? It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. There was a season here at the chapel where if you died, I couldn't have officiated your funeral because my suit would have just made me look like one of those caricature cartoons. Like I'd be shooting the buttons off the suit. Like I, was, I was literally praying, Lord, I hope nobody dies right now. Like I'm going to fast for 60 days. So in case somebody dies, I'll be ready. I got a new suit, but it was more for my shoulders because I'm so broad now. It's not, as a lie. Um, the reason why I like it, though, is because for me, this is for me, it reminds me who I want to be just physically isn't fitting in to what I committed to myself. So I've got to change something. And now I've trained my brain to make this remind me that Jesus Christ, when we put him on, in this life, it won't always feel comfortable because so few people are wearing Jesus around us. When we stand up for what is true and good, when we say things that go against the culture, of course, of course it will be uncomfortable. It's a lot more uncomfortable, I promise you, than fitting into a 36 when you should be wearing a 40. I finally just gave in and started buying the correct shoe size. My son wants to wear my shoe size. Daddy, I'm almost your size shoe. Okay, pup. He wears 13. He's a, he barely, he's swimming in a 13. I wear 14s. And he goes, soon I'm going to be your size. My first thought was, I get all the coolest shoes now. Because like, I'm going to have mom spend money on your shoes and I'm just going to steal them. My second thought was, um, this, this is the goal. Like, my goal as a dad is for my children to be more than I am, 
in every way. I want them to be smarter than me, more emotionally attuned than me. I want them to be faith-filled more than me. I want them to know the word more than me. I want them to be more compassionate than me. I want them to be nerdier than me. It's what I want for them. And Jesus Christ does this for us. He says, I'm going to give you all of me so that now as you're struggling down there and you feel like you don't quite fit in, I need you to know that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something in you. I'm going to put on my righteousness, my truth, my peace. I'm going to give you my sword. And I'm going to make, I'm going to help you so that you don't make a provision for the flesh. You don't get to feed that sin monkey sitting on your shoulder anymore. And here's the role that we play. How do we not gratify the flesh's desires? This is literally how you fight spiritually. You say, Lord, either I just sinned. I just I just walked away from you in this way, and I know I did, Lord. I'm not going to follow that way anymore. I might mess up again, but Lord, help me. Help me to not do this. And then you turn and walk the other way. Here, I'll give you a more practical example. Over my 20 years of ministry, I've seen relationships of every type fracture. Father, ch mother, child, parent, child relationships, uh, husband, wife relationships. I've seen, I've seen so many fracture. It grieves my heart. And here's what the first step always is, because spiritual warfare, the enemy is saying, I'm going to divide this relationship, whether it's a friendship, a boss, a, a spouse, whatever, I'm going to divide it, and then I'm going to destroy it. So what, what do you do? You don't run from that. That's the default human. That's how we make the flesh feel better. We gratify its desires. My desire is just to be at peace. God's desire is that I put on Christ. My desire is that I could just wear stretchy-waisted shorts all the time. But sometimes you got to squeeze into the uncomfortable to say, this is, doesn't feel good, but I know it's the right thing. It's the right thing to do. And you walk back with humility to your kid or to your boss or to your neighbor, whoever it is. See, the, the best way to fight spiritually is to live what Martin Luther called a life of repentance. You don't repent once. Repent doesn't mean change my behavior. No, that's what we think it means. It doesn't just mean change my way of thinking. It's, it's not just those two things. As a matter of fact, it's less often those things. What repenting is at the core of cores is that you've been following one Elohim that is not God. You've been following the, the greed or the money or the lust or the power or the achievement. And repenting says, I'm no longer following you. I'm following Yahweh in Jesus Christ. This is what repenting is. Not just a change of mind, but a change of God. And this is why the Bible in the unseen realm speaks of this so often, that he is the most high God. Don't worship these other gods. Don't worship these other spiritual beings. So we have to submit ourselves to God. Say, I'm not going to submit to you. I'm going to submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Some of us don't even want to resist. Our culture is literally running running. Look at the devil, what Satan and evil spirits have done in the Bible, and then look at our culture today. You will be flabbergasted. It's not original. It's not original at all. We think we're so modern and enlightened. Uh, we're literally following in the footsteps of so many ancient civilizations that have run headlong into Satan's plan to deceive and divide and destroy humanity to get us to 
dismantle all the things God created. God said, I'm going to make men and women. God said, I want to have families and reproduction. God said, I want you to raise up your children. God tells us he wants us to pray for one another, to love our enemies, to forgive our enemies. God wants us to put on compassion and tenderness and humility. God wants us to not live with the pride of the eyes. God not wants us to not look around and covet every single thing that we see. And yet here we stand coveting, prideful. We don't want to resist. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. The devil is not on par with God in any world. The devil is not near God's level of power and authority. The devil is a made being. So be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, waiting and looking, pouncing, for someone to devour. I found this art that I thought was really cool. It's just this dude walking with his Bible. And the devil, clearly, it's fire. It's how you know it's the devil. Um, by the way, he masquerades as an angel of light. So if you're in the hospital, you see light, don't necessarily go toward it. Um, <laughs> but this is just the spirit coming out of the Bible. Are you being sober-minded and watchful? There may be a time in your life where you've got to make some drastic changes because the war right now is devouring our children. I don't need some amens just from people who are on like one camp. I'm, I'm literally telling you, like, don't be afraid for your children who you are raising in the Lord, who you have taught things. My heart grieves for kids who are being raised on the internet and are succumbing to every whim. And it doesn't grieve with anger toward them because they are not the enemy. They are being fed evil through conduits of humans and corporations from principalities of darkness. So if you wanna really get serious about fighting this war, the most important thing we can do is to pray, not just for our country, for our world. Because Satan isn't just like, let's get America, no. Satan and the forces of evil are working toward everything to get as much antichrist sentiment in the universe that they can. So if we are not sober-minded, if we're not keeping an eye out, the devil is prowling and he will consume. He will consume your emotions, he will consume your faith, he will consume your relationships, and I pray that he would not. One of the cool things about praying for Miss Kathy and Miss Linda and Carla, um, these are all people battling disease, significant diseases right now, is that it just reorients your priorities. One of the cool things about any time you uh, go through a serious injury or you lose someone that you love is that your priorities are realigned for just a moment. Isn't it weird how quickly that fades? It's like all of a sudden, someone that we lost and it ripped our heart from our chest and we feel like life will never be the same and somehow, by the grace of God, I think, we can kind of move forward. But it's odd to me how much of a foothold the enemy has in our lives. Because we'll leave here today, and perhaps many of us won't give this a second thought. I am terrified. I've been walking around my neighborhood, praying over my neighborhood, because I know that spiritual forces of evil are not omnipresent, that they go over locations, in locales, and states. In the Bible, we read this. 
So I literally walk around the perimeter of my neighborhood, not where the rich people live. I let them deal with their own demons, okay? <laughs> There's like a gated part of my neighborhood. I just go around my part where the regular folk live. And I pray, like I'm praying. I'm praying for the kids at the park because this stuff, it's not just coming for our kids. It's got its grips into us as well. And if we don't see that at this point, I don't know that we ever will because Satan's plan, his minion's plan is to deceive us and he's done it. It's to divide us and we couldn't be more divided and it's to destroy us and we are on the brink of absolute and utter destruction in moral sense, in the sense of impending doom and war and natural disasters that are abounding. These things are all spoken about in the word. So let's pray. Let's get out of here and hopefully be less uh, scared knowing that we have some weapon to put on Christ. Father, I don't know how we turn this one around, Lord. I do know that I will stand by your grace alone, not my strength at all, but because you have shown me so much forgiveness. I love you, Lord, and I will be a remnant. Lord, we need ride-or-die people today. We don't need any more lukewarm country club Christians who don't want to fight. There is a battle for the souls of our kids and ourselves, and we are walking into it strolling with our helmets sitting on a table beside us. Let us instead become soldiers who will from time to time take off our helmet, look up to the sky, give thanks, and then suit back up because the battle wages. Give us wisdom and grace and forgiveness and compassion. Above all, Lord, we need compassion in this sense because you showed us compassion when you came to die for us. In Jesus' name, amen.